Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. We've reached the final morning of our undoing message series, and what a fitting drama that was to lead into our time together. It was a surprisingly refreshing morning, the fall of my freshman year at the University of South Florida. I had a class that morning at Cooper Hall, which was a hot spot on the campus, mostly because it was one of the first places that had a Subway restaurant on the ground floor. Man, were we trendy. So I approached the small grassy area, the entrance of Cooper Hall. I saw a man holding a Bible and a megaphone. I was so young in my faith, I didn't yet know that not everyone who recites the Word of God reflects the God of the Word well. And I listened to my horror as I heard a man tell everyone, and I mean everyone, they were headed directly to hell. Using the Bible like it was an encyclopedia for name-calling, he assured us that he knew who all of us were. Adulterers, slanderers, murderers, gossips, hypocrites, homosexuals, sinners. I'm pretty sure his favorite word was abomination, because that was what he kept saying. The collective position he said we all held in the eyes of our Creator. We were an abomination. No way to soften it. This man was offensive, and with every word, he was setting the field in front of Cooper Hall on that cool morning, ablaze with a fence that was turning red hot. The more he shouted, the more a crowd gathered around him, ready to to pounce at the slightest pause, to interrupt or instruct or insult. Now, most of them matched his passion for name-calling, with some of their own. An explicative-laced name parade, including some I'd never heard before in my life, each being a confirmation to the preacher of our depravity. And 18 years old, there I stood, wondering what it was I was to do. I looked around at the angry and dismissive faces of people I was certain that my God presently adored, and I felt my blood begin to boil within me, at how he was reflecting God, at how he was representing me, a Christian. I was shy, and I hated confrontation, so you could imagine my surprise when suddenly I heard my own voice rising above the crowd. I would have told you that morning that what I wanted to do was just call this man to understand the effect of his words, but if I'm being honest... What I was hoping for was to humiliate him, to stun and silence him and reveal him as a fool as I defended my faith. But before I could even finish my first sentence, he launched into what I'm now certain was a preloaded response. I was merely a cast member in a production that he had rehearsed many times, and I delivered my part right on. Just then another student yelled, And the whole dysfunctional show roared into a frenzy. It had been a shame of the accuser, and I helped to stoke the fire. Though it was never what I wanted that morning, all I did was add to the noise. 
I want to talk this morning about a pervasive problem for the human race. One of the most ancient of our sins that finds its origin on a field with Cain and Abel burning red hot on our fields still. I want to talk this morning about how to live completely unoffended and how to reclaim our place as peacemakers and ministers of reconciliation. Does that sound good? If we're to walk free of offense, we need to understand that there are two kinds of offense that we regularly find ourselves stepping into. And I would call them impersonal offense and personal offense. Now, if you look at these two, in fact, I want to give a definition to you here. Impersonal offense, what you're going to see typically has to do with judgment and accusation. Personal offense has to do with unresolved hurt and unforgiveness. As we're rolling in, I want to define impersonal offense this way. Impersonal offense is an affront concerning the belief, the stance, the action, or the affiliation of someone you don't know that has harmed you or someone you love resulting in your self-appointment to judge as judge to determine their motive, character, worth, and deserved punishment. Now that's loaded, so I want to unpack that for just a minute. We talk about impersonal offense. We are always talking about an affront, something your soul finds offensive. And usually what it has to do with is something someone believes, some issue they stand on, some action they've done, or some group they've chosen to affiliate with. With impersonal offense, this is always someone you don't personally know, but yet their actions have harmed you or somebody you care very much about. But that doesn't make offense. It only becomes offense when it results in your self-appointment to be judge over the situation, to assess and determine their motive, their character, their worth, and what they deserve as a result. See, every time we take offense, it's a place that we think we have the moral right to pass judgment on another person. We say, I am right, and they are wrong. We believe that we see clearly enough and live purely enough to defend that conclusion. But since only Jesus qualifies for that position, every time we take offense, we cross a bridge into assumption and accusation. Let me be honest, I don't even know why I do most of the things that I do. But whenever I step into offense, it's birthed the moment that I move beyond observing something you did and I move to assign motive to decide the type of person you therefore must be. And that's the thing about offense. You have to take it. You have to take offense. There are a billion invitations every day through hurtful things and wrong things and offensive things, but it doesn't take root in you until you take offense. So it's important that we understand that offense is not something that happens to you. Offense is a voice you choose to trust concerning something that happened to you. You choose to take offense where you could have chosen to give forgiveness. And we live in an offended culture. Because I've thought about this as a dad trying to help my kids navigate the world that we're living in this past year. I've seen so many places that I can only define by offense. There's political offense. I remember my 16-year-old Bradley sitting down with me to watch the Trump and Biden debate. And it had only been one or two minutes before he leaned over to me and said, Dad, this is how we choose the next leader of the country? Is this a good face for the values we're electing to our highest office? And as I sat, I was embarrassed because we, the left, the right, the center, have allowed years of a de-evolution of debate. Debate that was meant to equip us to better and more complete solutions together. We become polarized and character attacking and destructive with no desire to listen or understand or bridge partnership. 
And sadly, that day when I sat in my living room, I couldn't just pin it on these two candidates. Because the verbal grenades of people convinced of their total rightness while appalled at their total wrongness fill every news channel and coffee shop message board. I think about racial or class offense. I think about all of the riots and parades of Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter. The deep pain of long unresolved issues of race and class and authority on the planet today. And I've spent many hours listening and praying and reading and stepping into many bold and courageous conversations, many of which I've lived out publicly here as a church leader for community healing, as a person of peace to both sides. Through those bold and gracious friends and through you as a church, there are small pockets where I've seen understanding and healing and growth. But I've also found my heart broken by an ever-widening divide. The assumption of motives, deep distrust, the refusal to budge, the refusal to listen. In fact, it's gotten so bad that there are times, as a pastor, I've merely mentioned the topic and met resistance and correction and opinion and warning from Christians. And an idea that we can't even talk about this. What a far cry that is from the Jesus who came to make us all one, as he is one with the Father. And as the church of the living God, I'm convinced that we can't stop until that's a reality. We live in the midst of racial offense. Think about social media offense. Man, it's a tough space to have an opinion, isn't it? Social media. We live in an age of virtue signaling. I would define virtue signaling as you publicly expressing the goodness of your own moral character by calling out the badness of theirs. And I've been guilty. It can be so easy for us to think we see a whole issue completely and correctly and look down on those that just don't get it. But that's called pride. And by hiding behind our keyboard, we miss the beauty of walking across the street to have a courageous conversation with an actual neighbor who sees the world differently than we do. And learning nuance that we never saw before of remembering that we have no enemy of flesh and blood, of maturing in our perspective of perhaps gaining a friend. I think of the words of James, where he says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When I think about media, there's one more item that comes up on the agenda. What I can only call soundbite sentencing. Soundbite sentencing would be when we use clickbait headlines to exaggerate or exploit a person or an event to suit our own agenda. And then we as a culture rush to pick people's words apart and reduce their personhood into a camp or a label that we can aim our weapons at. We define people by the one area we might not agree with them instead of the myriad of ways we do or the image of God we collectively share. As the demand of our culture from the right and from the left is no longer for unity, it's for uniformity. I sat this week in the waiting room. My wife, Jill, got ankle surgery, and she's looking great on her scooter right here. Good to see you, Jill. The prettiest girl on a scooter. And off a scooter. You're just the prettiest girl. <laughs> I sat with Jill in the waiting room as she was getting ankle surgery. I watched an eight-minute news segment where five news anchors proceeded to blast an athlete for something he didn't say because it was an issue they felt he needed to weigh in. Now, let me note to you, it may be helpful to know that this had nothing to do with sports or his area of expertise. It was just a hot-button topic. And because he was a celebrity, they blasted him. They went into a tirade for eight minutes at how irresponsible he was to not toe the line and make his voice heard. 
Later in the same newscast, I listened to a reporter continually try to bait a senator to affirm a position they weren't even talking about just to secure their next headline. And every day, we binge watch these sound bites, we sound off. Proverbs 18.8 says, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. When I talk about impersonal offense, let me make something very clear. There's a difference between impersonal offense and discernment. Discernment, the, the sense from God, either through direct revelation or through his word, that a course of action is right or wrong, good or bad. Discernment is a spiritual gift that we desperately need. There's a vast difference between having conviction and exiling people as convicts. What I'm talking about with impersonal offense is not taking a stance on your convictions. Love demands that we do that. What I'm talking about is how we choose to speak. Impersonal offense takes place when judgment and gossip is born from premature and unfair assumptions. Impersonal offense takes place anytime we show a predisposition to label people by their stances instead of looking into their faces. We do it with drivers in traffic based on how fast they're going, when they brake, and what their bumper, stick sa- bumper sticker says. We do it in the grocery store with the parent whose kids are running crazy. We do it on the phone with the customer service worker that we think seems incompetent or inconsiderate. We can be so quick to judge. Impersonal offense is at the heart of every ism. Racism, sexism, ageism, classism. We do this based on political affiliation. What booth you stand in to vote. We do this based on sexual orientation. We do this based on your stance on immigration or inoculation. And it's falling short of the Jesus end. So what do we do? How do the people of God undo impersonal offense? And for that, there's only one word. And the word is honor. The word is honor. The word honor means to assign value. It means to see all people. Somebody say all people. It means to see all people as valuable and to treat them with the appropriate care and patience and respect of one created in the image of God. A God, by the way, who presently adores them and is actively pursuing their destiny, whether they're living like it or not, and whether they agree with you or not, and whether they're nice to you or not. This is the heart of what it means to be peacemakers and ministers of reconciliation. I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. You know what the phrase no one means in Greek? It means no one. It means nobody. It means it doesn't matter what their political affiliation is, their sexual orientation is, their politics are. It doesn't matter what their behavior is. From now on, we regard no one the way the rest of the world regards them. Why? Because God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You want to know what the ministry of reconciliation is? Paul goes on. He says, you want to know what it is to be a minister of reconciliation? Here's the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I would ask the question, if God is not counting people's sins against them, isn't it time we give that up too? If the ministry of reconciliation is that God decided at a point of time while we were still enemies, while we were still blind, while we were still opposing him, while we were still foolish, that he decided to no longer count our sins against us, to not judge us by our history, 
but by our destiny. If God is no longer counting our sins against us, isn't it time we give it up too? We've been given a better inheritance to live forgiven and adored and joyful and to invite the world, even our offenders, to turn and receive it. The older brother and the younger brother both can come home because of the shed blood of Christ. How do we get there? Honor. How do we honor someone? I want to remind us that we can only release what we're receiving. It is going to be very hard for us to dispense honor if we're spending the hours of our day drinking from wells of dishonor. It will be hard for us to release honor if we're spending hours every day drinking from wells of dishonor. It is time that we kick negativity out of our soul's newsfeed. And what that means is this. It may, means you may need to redefine your relationship with media. Now, I am not saying right now that everybody needs to go and quit social media. Okay? We're a city on a hill. We're the light of the world. But I will say that there are some people hearing my voice right now that you need a new vision for social media. To not be there as a consumer, but to be there as a minister of reconciliation. And to make a decision that if you're not going to step on as a peacemaker, you need not step on at all. I'm not saying everybody needs to quit social media, but I would say some people need some new ground rules for social media on what they do before they post or maybe how long they're on the news feed at all. But I am saying for some people hearing my voice right now that it is not well with your soul. And you know the Spirit of God is saying right now, you actually do need to break. And so you know that I'm not just shouting up you know, from, from the platform. Some months ago, that's exactly the decision that I made because that was where I found myself. I found myself wanting more than anything to be a peacemaker, and I was only attracting people that either already agreed with me or already were predisposed to argue with me. And I found in neither position was I free to love them, and so I turned off the social media feed, and I've spent a whole lot more time going after people in relationships. For some of you, the answer is you need to change the relationship. How do we give honor? You may need to redefine your relationship with your father. The Bible says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places so that he could be alone with his father. And this is what positioned him so that he would only say what the father was saying. So I want to ask this. If every day there's this scroll of information that's coming in and the loudest voice wins, are you positioning yourself for Jesus to be the loudest voice? Being at the feet of your father and hearing his voice is the loudest voice that's there. Are you putting yourself in the regular place to hear the delight of your Father for you and for them and to repeat what he's saying? How do we honor? It means we may need to redefine how we talk about and how we talk to those we disagree with. I've got a good friend here in the Tampa Bay area that pastors a church called The Resting Place. His name is Caleb Hires. When Caleb and I spend time together, you'll find it won't be long before you'll hear Caleb say this phrase, Honor is not agreement. Honor is not agreement. And I think that's so well said. Honor is when we choose, regardless of someone's present behavior, regardless of their present stance, regardless of if we agree with them or not, we choose to value someone as the Father values them, and we will continually elevate that above everything else. In Romans chapter 12, this is what Paul was talking about. And he said this, he said, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's a good competition to have, isn't it? Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, this first part of the phrase was written to believers because it talks about brothers and sisters. And so what he's saying is in the family of believers, what do you do? You love one another with brotherly and sisterly affection and you outdo one another in showing honor. And I found that in the church, we do a fairly good job of that once somebody has prayed the prayer and joined the team. But Paul's not done writing. He goes on beyond that. And he doesn't just define people that haven't yet prayed the prayer. He, he defines people that outright try to vilify you and stand against you and stand against everything you believe in are wrecking our culture. He says this, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 
And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. I love that he says, if it's possible. You know why that matters? Because sometimes you're going to want to live at peace with someone, and it's not possible. They're not willing to have peace with you. But he says, I want to draw a new line. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're one that he didn't count your sins against you from now on, as far as it depends on you with any face that you look at for the rest of your life, if the relationship were dependent on you, it would be a relationship. And if that's not true, there's an offense that. How do we honor people when we disagree with them? I want to be super practical. I would say a few things for honoring when we disagree. The first is this, that we would refuse to assign motive. We don't know what is in their heart. We don't know their pain. We don't know their total story. And we don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Jesus says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and you don't know their heart. So when you're wrong, when you're wronged, don't ever assign motive. Beyond that, don't make disagreement your enemy. Some of us just want to run from anybody who's going to disagree with us. We want to be at the place that I just want to be around people that are all going to agree, and if they don't agree, that's bad, and I'm being persecuted for my faith. But I want to remind us that iron only sharpens iron through friction. We like to quote that all the time, right? Let's be iron, sharpening iron. You know what that means? That means that you're going to be around people that disagree with you. And as you rub up against one another, that's where iron sharpens iron. What do we need to do? We need to learn to listen for the heart to grow. We need to no longer have preloaded responses to just wait for our time to speak, be in a conversation so we can teach that person how they're wrong. We don't know everything about everything we think we do. Somebody just received that this morning. You don't know everything about everything you think you do. And neither do I. That's why Jesus invites us to come with the faith like a child. Ready to learn. Ready to be stretched. Ready to listen. We're going to have honor when we disagree. We've got to start and build from where we agree. I had an opportunity to teach a uh, public speaking and debate class for, for high school for several years. And this is what I told them when we got into the debate portion every year I taught. I said, listen, you've seen a bad example of what debate is on the media feed. If you want to know what true debate is, true debate is not for you to sound off and just be heard and not be willing to, to shift in your position. True debate is you actually want to hear nuance because you believe that you and diverse people coming together for a common good can arrive somewhere better together. So true debate, you always start where you agree. You don't start with name calling. You don't start taking the one issue that you might not see the same. You start at the place of what you see about humanity, of what you see about God, of what you see about life that you can actually agree on. And believe it or not, you actually agree with all of the 8 billion people who are on the planet about something. And if we could start and build from where we agree, not only have we established a base for honor, we've also gotten great clarity on the thing we don't agree on and how we can actually hone in. How do we honor people we don't agree with? We need to contend for issues, but always show compassion. To if you're right but you don't know how to love, you're wrong. And last one, somebody needs to cut out this last one and post it on your computer or your phone today when you go on Facebook or Instagram. Remember that Jesus is in control, so you don't need to be. Isn't that reassuring? It's not our job to convince or control people. It is our job to love them to trust him. I want you to hear me from a heart of love. I found this first service and I find it now. The minute we start talking about offense as a group, it becomes uncomfortable. I want to tell you from my position as a pastor, if you wanted to ask why we've saved this message for the very end, I believe this might be the greatest challenge standing in the way of the church and the greatest opportunity that we would have to actually be a light in the world today. We live in an offense-laden and cancel culture. And as the people of God, we've been invited through honor to do something. But we've got to let go of impersonal. 
There's a second kind of offense, personal offense. And I want to bring this definition back up so that you can see exactly what we're talking about. We cross the line into personal offense. We're dealing with an affront concerning the belief, the stance, the action, or the affiliation this time of someone you know that has harmed you, someone you love, and has resulted in your self-appointment to judge them so that you can determine their motive, character, worth, and deserved punishment. The signs that you're walking in a place of personal offense is that when you think about somebody, you feel hurt and rejected and betrayed. That when their name comes up, it's hard to breathe. That your heart rate elevates. That you find yourself replaying that thing they said or that thing they did over and over and over. That when you think of them, it steals your peace. With impersonal offense, the way we undo it is through honor. With personal offense, the only way we can undo it is through forgiveness. And whenever I have the opportunity to share about this, I'll find, whether I'm in a personal counseling meeting or a group setting like this, the minute I will talk about forgiveness with people that have been hurt, I find that many people get stuck at this point because we have a really wrong view of what forgiveness is. So it might help to share what forgiveness is not. First, I would tell you that forgiveness is not a feeling. If you've reached a place in your life that you need to forgive, you are confronting one of your deepest hurts. You're never going to feel like it. You can be free of that. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Second, I would tell you that forgiveness is not pretending it didn't matter. It did. It's not pretending what they did was okay. It wasn't. Forgiveness is not positioning yourself to be hurt or victimized again. There's a vast difference between forgiveness and trust. Sometimes you have to walk away from someone you've forgiven because the relationship and their decisions have made it toxic. But lastly, and this is where I want you to get hope this morning, forgiveness is not dependent on their response or their awareness or their behavior. You forgiving them is not in any way tied to their response, their awareness, or their behavior. What does that mean? It means nothing needs to change today in order for you to be free of what they did to you because they don't hold the keys for your forgiveness. You do. If you're in the place where you need to forgive, I want to give you a very simple definition. Forgiveness is the transfer of a debt from their shoulders and your shoulders to Jesus' shoulders on a cross where he already paid for their offense and your pain. You want to know what forgiveness is? It's not a feeling. It's not making it okay. It's not continuing to walk in relationship. It's not once they see it, and once I talk to them, then I'll let it go. No, forgiveness is the transfer of a debt. Something has happened that is stolen from you. And you have trauma, and you have pain on your shoulders, and there's blame on their shoulders. But forgiveness is the moment you transfer the debt off of your shoulders and off of their shoulders. And you place the trauma and the pain and the blame on Jesus' shoulders. It's when you choose to stop saying, look at what they did, and you'll say, no, Jesus, I'm going to look instead at what you did. We go around, look at what they did, look at what they did. Jesus says, no, look at what I did. Don't empower them anymore. Release them and look to me to return your debt and to take you further than you could ask or imagine. Don't empower them. But forgiveness means that we must refuse to pretend we know their whole story. Why they did what they did and what they deserve. That instead we'd give the debt to Jesus and ask, them, ask him to forgive them and to heal and return what's been stolen from you. And when we'll do that, it means that forgiveness is releasing them from any right or any ability to keep you from your destiny further. Somebody hear me this morning. There's a place where as soon as we started talking, somebody came to your mind. Maybe as impersonal as a group of people, man, these people that get on social media, or these type of people, or maybe it's very personal, and you're thinking about actual effects and actual things that have hurt you. I want you to hear me this morning. Because of what Christ did on the cross, right now you can be free. And your forgiveness means that you will release them from any right or any ability to keep you from your destiny anymore. 
felt in preparing for this message that it's time for someone to stop believing that you're a pawn on someone else's chessboard. That all the time you talk about why you're not where you should be, it's always tied to somebody else and what they did or what they didn't do. And though you don't know it, you're believing you're a pawn on somebody else's chessboard. And Jesus said, you can stop today when you stop playing the game of offense and accusation. When you release them. When you say, Jesus, only you have the right to determine my destiny. I'm not empowering them anymore. How do we get there? To this point, if, if, if this has been at all true in your story, the next four minutes matter more than anything else I'm going to share. Because I want to share three very quick steps to empower you this morning to forgive. Then, we're going to do it. We're going to lift something off our shoulders, and we're going to see something change for our region. Amen? The first one is this. We need to forgive quickly. Forgive quickly. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Again, Jesus in Matthew 5, he says this, If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. How important is it to Jesus that we don't carry offense? So much so that he doesn't want a single sunset or song in a church service to pass without you actively seeking healing. It is human nature for us to run from what brings pain and discomfort, but healing is heaven's high priority. So right now in your life, if there is something that is broken between you and another person, God calls you to forgive quickly. The second, we need to forgive honestly and completely. All offense that will happen in your life, impersonal or personal, all offense shares this in common. It comes because someone hurt you or hurt someone you love deeply. It can be real or it can be perceived, but it's hurt. And we have to recognize hurt before we can release it. What does that mean? Somebody's wronged you. I would tell you, don't rush to make excuses. Oh, they didn't mean it. Yeah, but they did it. And it hurt. I would call you to not rush to minimize it. You come and say, oh, it's no big deal. Well, it is, or you wouldn't have to say that. I have things in my life that are no big deal. You know how I know what they are? I don't have to say they're no big deal because they're no big deal. If you ever find yourself saying in your life that somebody hurt you, but it's no big deal, that is your soul screaming out that it is, and you're just trying to be polite because you think that's what a Christian's supposed to be. But the Word of God says you can be angry and not sin. You've got to recognize hurt before you can release it. We've got to stop minimizing it. You go and you say, I'm fine. No, you're not. And it's okay. Just be honest. Second way that we need to forgive is forgiving is Jesus forgave us completely. He forgave us of everything while we were still his enemy, while we were still blind, while we were still broken. So when we forgive, we need to give them completely to God to let it and let them go with no conditions. That's the gospel. We can only do it if we trust the sufficiency of the cross to come through and return the debt that was stolen from you. How do we forgive? We forgive quickly. We forgive honestly and completely. And last, we've got to forgive directly. There's this problem that we have when we talk about our hurt from someone, but not to them. We talk about our boss to a coworker. We talk about that family member that hurt us to another family member. We talk about our friend to a mutual friend. We talk about that church or that church leader to another church member. And it is easy to do, but it's destructive. Proverbs 16, 28 says a twisted person tr spreads rumors. A whispering gossip ruins good friendship. See, when we do this, I'm not just talking about separation between you and them. We've taken their reputation through the mud. We've called their character and their actions into a courtroom of opinion without inviting or even informing them. We have to forgive directly. 
What do I mean by that? Here's the first thing you should do when somebody's wronged you. Sometimes we want to run right away and talk. We've got to talk about it. I'm a verbal processor. Somebody, somebody wrongs me, man, I'm, I'm ready to talk right now. And I got a lot of things to say about it. But the first thing we need to do is go directly to God. He is our strong tower when you feel you are under attack. Run into him and you will be saved. He can handle it. You run directly to God and you yell and scream and cry and ask and process. And let him speak and let him heal you. He will. That said, let me give a note out of a heart of love. If you are regularly spending hours before God about how Bill hurt you and how Betty hurt you, how Brent hurt you, how Bob hurt you, if you're going from church to church or job to job or relationship to relationship and it always starts well, but you always end up getting hurt or offended, it's likely that the root is something unhealed in you that's causing you to see pain take offense even when it's not there. And that's a place that Jesus is inviting you to come for healing. When we're offended, we need to run directly to God. But then after that, if possible, the Bible says that we're to run directly to them. Not three of our other friends for a prayer request. Honor calls us to go straight to the source. In Matthew chapter 18, tells us this is how we resolve it. Once we go directly to God, then what we do is we go just between you and them. And if they don't listen, then second, you take a mediator that both of you respect, that both of you feel safe with. And then if they don't listen, it says you take it before the leadership of the church. You go directly to God, you go directly to them. And the only other person who should be hearing about this offense is a leader in your life to help you see how to go directly to God or directly to them. We have to forgive directly. We live in a day right now that's not unlike fall of my freshman year. There is an accuser. And he holds an ancient scheme. He loves to step onto our fields with a megaphone to shout fear and anger and rejection so that we, the people of God, would take offense. But Jesus already carried every offense on his shoulders into a grave, and he didn't come out with them. So now we, the people of God, are free to bless when cursed, to love when hated, to walk as peacemakers and ministers of reconciliation, lives that are defined entirely by living un. Would you stand with me? I just want to ask for just a minute if you'd close your eyes. And I know as we share, this is a heavy topic. It was heavy on my soul the entire time I kept before the Lord because it's like surgery. We've got to look at the places where things annoy us and frustrate us. We've got to look at places where there might be entitlement in our own heart or unresolved hurt or pain. But right now in this moment, I want us to trust the Holy Spirit to move greatly. Father, right now I bind any spirit of offense. I want to block your people from everything you want to do. I want to ask the question this morning. Where is God calling for you to rise up and be defined by a life of honor today? is it that hurts you? What relationship is it where there has been a falling out? Where there's not peace? Where he's calling you to forgive? Where is it right now when you think of their name, your, your heart rate starts to race? You feel that pain all over again. You replay it over and over and over. Who's that person that's offended with you? relationship has just drifted away. Who's God calling you to forgive? I'm going to ask right now in this moment for the Holy Spirit to show you, to bring their face or their name to your mind anywhere you're not living in peace. 
And if that's you, I want you to know we've written a restoration manual specifically for this. It'll walk you step by step how to actually take that person to the throne of God and how to release them and forgive them. But it starts here. Who's God calling you to forgive? Where is he saying this morning, you need to do it quickly and honestly and completely and directly? Second question I want to ask is this. Where is there a pattern in your life that you're offended? Sometimes by people you don't even know. I want you to imagine you could replay the tape from this past week of all your conversations. Who are those people that you pass in traffic or you see in the store, you hear news stories or articles about? Or those people on social media? The way you see where they stand or what they're affiliated with? or what they've done, you find yourself, your blood boiling, and you're taking offense. Even now, would you just tell them, Lord, I'm sorry, I don't want to take offense, I want to give forgiveness. What is God calling you to change this morning? You need to change your relationship with social media. You need to change your relationship to say, Lord, I, I need, I get, I get heaviness. We come into worship, and I see some of the worship team jumping around, and I just can't because all the news I'm hearing all week long is so heavy. I want you to understand this morning, and I say it in love, it's not the worship team's responsibility to lift that off of your shoulders. It's your to go, yours to go in the quiet place with your Father, to draw away in the busyness of life and to hear Him. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it's always available. Where is he calling you to spend time with him? And if he is, there's no heaviness. It's just an invitation. He's got his arms open saying, just come back home. Where's the father calling you to change a relationship? Maybe it's with a group of friends that whenever you get around them, it always turns negative. Called you to be a peacemaker, but something's got to change. Maybe the Lord's telling you this morning, you need to repent of gossip. There's somebody that you have not been honoring. Right now, would you even tell him? Just put a hand up to your mouth right now and say, oh Lord, touch my tongue. I want to speak the words of an advocate, not an accuser. I ask you to forgive me for the things I've said. Right now, somebody, I'm believing right now, there's somebody in the pattern in your life has been you get offended or you get hurt because you don't know the authority that's in you. You gossip to everybody else and you're feeling the heaviness of this moment, but you don't need to carry it a moment longer. Say, oh, Father, forgive me. You made me an advocate, not an accuser. I'll let it go. every person hearing my voice right now if you would say I want to live a life defined by honor I want to live a life where I walk with my convictions as a peacemaker and a minister of reconciliation I just want to pray an anointing over your life if that's you I'm just gonna ask you to hold your hands out in front of you just ready to receive I want to be defined by honor I want to be defined by forgiveness and compassion. Just hold your hands out. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I bless you. I bless your eyes to be opened to see your Father presently dancing over you. I bless your eyes to be open to see your Father delighting over you in all of your mess, with all of your mistakes. And I bless your eyes see him dancing over them too. I bless your mind with wisdom and humility. A mind that knows you don't know everything about everything you think you do. A mind eager to learn that doesn't need to be right, that doesn't need to be in control. That you can listen and stretch, be stretched grow. I bless you this morning with a mouth like Jesus when you meet people who are offensive. 
that you would speak, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, out of the overflow of their broken heart, all this brokenness is coming out. And the enemy wants me to take offense, but I won't take offense. I'll give forgiveness. Father, forgive them. The same grace with which you've reconciled me, reconcile them. The same grace that led me back in the house, Lord, call them home. Let me be an advocate and not an accuser. I bless you this morning with a heart bold enough to speak your convictions, tender enough to embrace those who disagree, and confident enough to trust Jesus alone to save. I bless you this morning with shoulders free of carrying the burden of offense. Somebody this morning, you've walked in here and you're offended and it's just been weighing you down right now. Would you hear the grace of the Lord? Maybe you need to walk through the restoration manual. There's more to process, but even now, would you just let it go? Your shoulders weren't meant to carry that weight. You'll break under that pressure. I bless you with shoulders free of carrying the offense free of the pressure of being someone else's rescuer. That was never your job. And this morning, I bless you with feet that are eager to go. As a peacemaker, as a minister of reconciliation, with courageous and unrelenting love, until every son and every daughter is back in the Father's house. I bless you with grace to forgive, with strength to love, joy to live unoffended. Father, I pray this morning that you would fill and encourage us. I know it's a tough message. And I know we hear so much bad news around us, but I'm asking right now in Jesus' name that you rise up a confidence and an authority and a joy within your church. That you rise up within us, Lord, that you have really risen from the dead that you really are the forgiver of our sins, that the gospel really is good news. And that all it takes today, all it takes, is for us to no longer look at them and just look at you. So Lord, we look at you this morning. Would you just tell them, thank you for your grace in my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for holding me. Right now in Jesus' name, I break off any heaviness break off any accusation, I break off any offense, that we walk and